like that. It's very <laughs> odd. She sounds like a Kate McKinnon SNL character. Yeah, the whole world's gotten topsy-turvy. <laughs> and then there's, like, all these scenes throughout the beginning where she's just, like, staring out her window at yeah. them like a total creep. So I, I feel like I would have been totally... Well, I probably would have complained about it, to be honest, but... I, Compared to this version, I I feel like it might have been stronger if she just hadn't been in it. Like, well, they... we need her for the hearing, though. Well, uh, they... No, you put Nigel in there, I think it could work. <laughs> Do, yeah, Nigel... Point. Nigel's like, oh, take out your wand, Harry! Oh, oh. away, Harry. <laughs> like, I just feel... Or maybe if they had made it be some character we knew or something, like, I just feel like it's so... And it probably has something to do with not having the same director for the last three... Or last yeah. four movies, so... I mean, I can see why they never had her in an earlier movie, because it's... She is oh. so minor, but, like, it's just... It's it, it's just one of those things where if you hadn't read the book, you'd be like, what is the what is the point of her? I don't know. We d- we definitely need those director the re edits of the first three movies to include Mrs. Fig in every <laughs> yeah, single scene. CGI like, her she's in just, every single. She's Pimit just drive there, scene. like yeah, yeah. Okay, R- right maybe- when. Right, right when they're dropping off Harry in the very first movie, you see Mrs. Fig walking down the Privet Drive. And okay, she here's sees- what it is. I'm just jealous, or I'm just, so, I mean, not jealous. I'm just sad that we didn't ever get to see the scrapbooks of all of her cats, okay? Yeah, that's actually that's what, what I, I really saying. wanted. We get enough cats in this movie. Yeah, so too many cats in this movie. <laughs> no never too many cats. Um, yeah, the other thing that's weird, I guess, um, one of our patrons, Mans, commented that she was, uh, weirded out by Petunia's outfit um, once they get back to number four private drive. She says it's a pinup housewife outfit and uh, she was pointing out that that's a pretty bizarre uh, dress that she's wearing. I've always thought that that was a weird outfit but I guess it, I, I kind of think it works with Petunia. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you guys knew this, but apparently it's very hot. Yes. Very, very hot. We get it both in centigrade <laughs> and in Fahrenheit. And Fahrenheit. <laughs> I totally forgot, actually, how weather-focused this movie was. Uh, between this and, like, you know, Hagrid there being, like, storms are coming. Uh, it's it's very odd how, I guess, they, they really are bringing in that the entire world is facing down some sort of crisis. But I didn't mind it. And I, well, I got to say, Uncle Vernon, uh, between his, like, Tommy Bahama shirt and the the ankles with the, the socks with the sandals. I mean, this family has just has it together in terms of fashion sense. Uh, Uncle Vernon, this is by far the best um, Dursley's scene. MVD. All, yeah, for MVD for all of the movies. This is like his standout uh, scene. Uh, every time I eat a spoon, I think of him uh, holding the spoon. Why with... does he still have the spoon? <laughs> every time you eat a spoon? Every time I eat with the spoon or I, I eat a delicious uh, edible spoon. Uh, you guys have those in Montana, right? Um, uh, oh, yeah. The, uh, I think of him and his like fish, uh, goldfish eyes. That that like weird goggly thing he's doing with his face, and then like my favorite part is when they're getting into the car and he's like, like all embarrassed, uh, and he's like doing these weird hand gestures and he likes mouthing something <laughs> yes. like, "Oh yeah, yeah, okay, we're going to take him to." Oh, he's fine, but we're going to the hospital or some whatever he's doing. He's like smiling really creepily. Yeah. What what exactly are they doing? I mean, I guess they're taking him to the hospital, but that they don't really explain that. Yeah, because it's like they, stuffing Dudley into a car. The <laughs> like, book, it, the book it was like they won like the best kept lawn, right? But here it's right, like which was a plant from the order. I guess they're trying to de yumpify him. Yeah, uh, but they like, but like they put like a towel over his face. <laughs> his uh, yeah. But I love that again. Vernon just like I just love I love his 
justice while he's brandishing this little tiny spoon <laughs> in his plump head. Like, yeah, he's I really funny here. I totally agree with you, Tim, that like, I, I think the Dursleys are just some of the, the, and this is a very dark film, so I think oh. we need that sort of levity going on that doesn't feel inappropriate. So I'm happy we got this, even if it was just five minutes of them shuffling about in their summer gear. I, I also <laughs> want to point out that this has one of my least favorite characters in any Harry Potter movie. What the hell is up with that Ministry Owl, and why does it pull an arrow? Like, is it yeah. Is, is it just like, oh, is it related to Errol? Is it supposed to be Errol? Like, yeah, is that getting LVB of the movie from well, Tim? Well, 100%. I mean, I, I, I have stated <laughs> in the previous movie cast that um, Errol is always the LVB. But, I mean, come on. This one's the close second. <laughs> like, well, this is worse than Errol because it's like he took Errol's, like, shtick. Like, it's okay for Errol to do that because that's kind of his thing. But, like, yeah. you don't even know this owl. Well, <laughs> here's the from Errol. <laughs> here's the thing, though. While this Errol looked like maybe LVB, I'm going to put an early contender here. I think the ministry letter from Mafalda Hopkirk, my contender for MVB. Mm, what? Interesting. The letter? So the howler? Yeah. Well, it, I don't know. It's yeah, not really I, a howler. It's like yeah, because I'm trying to remember. Did we get a howler, howler in the in the no. second film? Oh. I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, howler's in the second film uh, when after nice. they, they take well, the Fort Angula. And there's uh, supposed to be a howler in this scene from, from Dumbledore, Dumbledore. But yeah. this, the one from Mafalda Hopkirk is... I think they just did that as a stylistic choice so that we don't have to, like, zoom in on the letter and read it or something. <laughs> no, instead you get to follow those delicious purple lips made out I of the I do love the purple lips, <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm saying like, MVB. That's what I'm, that's what I'm throwing themselves. that lore out there. Okay, well, actually, my contender for MVB is also made of paper, so... Oh, <laughs> I think too. that... I think my contender for MVB might be the same. Okay, so I guess this one's in the running, then, because we're definitely not disqualifying it on the fact that it's a letter. Um, but I will say, like, I can see why they put in the owl being real klutzy, because they've gotten a lot of mileage out of that in the past. They realize that that's good for a laugh, so they yeah. better they better have a couple owls crashing into things <laughs> in every movie. <laughs> Um, I also, before we move on from this scene, I do want to point out and shout out to my boy Alfonso from the third movie. But uh, uh, I any, uh, any person who says my boy Alfonso <laughs> is no sister of ours. I, I do. I do. Want, I do want to say uh, the updated Dementors are not nearly as scary as uh, the third movie Dementors. These all CG Dementors uh, are weak sauce, in my opinion. Well, I don't really understand why they changed them. That's I, I don't like it either. And I don't like how they have less of a cloak. Like, I've never, I, okay, I've never been a huge fan of how the Dementors, are, like, they don't, they're supposed to look more like the Grim Reaper than they, they ever do. They look like, like, burnt skeletons in this Yeah, movie. I mean, they, these, these Dementors are like, they're, they're, they're out and proud. Like, they don't really, they don't care about their hoods. Uh, like, they'll just pop <laughs> them off. That's true. We're in, in that point in society now where the Dementors can walk around without their hoods. <laughs> Well, they're a lot more like they're not under the ministry control exactly. anymore. But, so, yeah. But but aren't they like covered under a veil? It's like a death shroud almost uh, on, don't on say them. Veil. Right? If there's Ugh. a veil, I love it. Ugh, yeah, that's it. true. If I if there's that's a veil, it's it. a win oh, for obvious. me. Uh, okay, I got it. That's why I don't like it. Hate the veil. Yeah. Um. So after after this happens, we get the order showing up at Privet Drive, and um, I had to say I thought it was weird that they just cut Lupin out of it. Um, I don't really know why he didn't get to be there. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I will. I will say overall, I think one of my personal gripes with the coverage of the latter half of the books is what they do with Lupin's character, because I mm -hmm. feel like 
what they, I mean, he, in my opinion, was like a really interesting character in book three, but I feel like what they do with him in five, six, and seven is super interesting, considering that like he is by far the most hesitant member of the order to the point where in book seven, he's like, hey, Harry, can I uh, come with? I don't really feel good about having this baby anymore in this time of strife. Mm-hmm. And I, I do love David Thewlis as well. Uh, he, I mean, he's I saw him in, in Fargo, which is the complete opposite of Lupin this past year, but he's he's a, does a really great job in it. And yeah, he had this like a couple of, he had one monologue at Grimald Place and he held Harry back after the veil stuff. But other than that, this was a pretty Lupinless movie, which I was pretty disappointed by. And I think it also shows that like when they try to sort of bring everything back in, uh, in book, you know, movie seven and eight to, to make sure that his death is significant. It, it rings a little hollow uh, just mm-hmm. because they, they weren't able to really take the time to build in all the sort of check-ins we do with him in the books. Speak- yeah, I, I just don't understand why he couldn't have been in this scene. Like uh, he charges too much. I think David Thewlis is too expensive. Yeah, maybe that's second on screen or something. <laughs> Speaking of uh, Lupin being hesitant to have a baby, hey, congratulations, Mike Bloom! You, you and your wife are expecting. Yes. Yeah, congratulations. Don't Thanks. pull a Lupin. <laughs> I will try not to. There are no seventeen-year-olds. Uh, I'm going to try to run off with at any moment. Thank you. I am to go uh, hang I- out with them. I'm very excited. Uh, one reason why I do wish uh, Chelsea from the last movie podcast was on was to name my child. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I have a dog and now I'm going to have a baby. So I'm like a third of the way to becoming Tim. So I feel like that's saying something. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, on your way to become me, let, let me give you some practical parenting advice. Um, get on this early and often. Uh, make a will because you never know if a uh, dark wizard will come to your, or a dark podcaster will come to your house and murder you and your wife. Is that a threat? And, <laughs> and uh, you, you, I, I, let me just suggest that you should have who you want your child to go to. You don't want it to end up with some weird uncle or aunt who don't even like podcasts. So if I could suggest this somebody... This metaphor is like really, really a stretch. If, if I could... Uh, about, is this supposed to be about Harry? Yeah, and it's supposed if, to be okay. about... Yeah. If, if, I can, if I can suggest someone to you, uh, Mike, I would suggest that you uh, and uh, your wife leave the baby to Martha because she kind of needs something in her life. <laughs> Whoa! <okay>. Wow! <laughs> So that was like on with you. that was like the most roundabout way <laughs> of burning me. Weird you know, allegory. The order, order of the Phoenix way to get to a Martha insult is just padding yeah. that with as much many story as possible. In all, in all honesty, though, Martha would be a great person to leave the baby to because she loves babies. Okay, that's not really relevant. I'm, don't worry, Mike. I'm not going to come steal your baby. <laughs> no, I, I wasn't saying that you'd steal the baby. I just was saying that like it, there's worse people to leave a baby to. It's okay, oh. Tim. I've taken your words. Thanks. I put. In a, in a little sphere, and I'm putting it in, in, in the White House. So if anyone tries to take it, they'll Ooh. know what happens. Is my name on it? Is this a I prophecy? <laughs> oh, this is such a reach. Yes, it really is. <laughs> All right, well, let's um, move on to a, another topic. Why is Mad Eye Moody riding a trombone? That's what I want to discuss next. Was he? His, <laughs> he has a recumbent. Uh, he has a recumbent broom. It's like one of those weird bicycles that you see old people yeah, yeah. ride. Yeah, but it has, it has like a, a gear on it that looked like a trombone slide. So that was the first thing I thought was about I'm Moody just riding a trombone around. I, I know there were several weirdos in the patron group who wanted us to point out why does Harry act like he knows Mad-Eye Moody uh, in this movie, considering last time he basically knew Barty Crouch Jr., yeah, we got one from Logan Adair in particular, and he's, it's he's Logan like, B. Adair. 
Okay, oh, I'm thanks, sorry. Thanks, Tim. Not we to know be you're mixed, his, like father or something. So <laughs> not to be mixed up with Logan C. Adair, one of yeah. our other patrons. Yeah, what up, um, Logan? <laughs> uh, yeah, Logan points out like Moody and Harry have never even met. Like the real Moody and Harry have never even met so, at this point. Yeah, so like in the book, Harry like calls him Professor Moody, and Moody's like, "Well, I never got round to what Professor did I?" <laughs> and like in this one, he calls him Professor Moody, and they're like, "Okay, let's go." <laughs> um, so. There's that, and then there's also the fact that Nymphadora is there. Don't call me Nymphadora. Oh boy. Yeah, that's one of what four Tonks moments we get in this film. It's 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 this. It's her duck making bill. duck face for Ginny. There's uh there's her tripping over an umbrella stand and not getting reprimanded by Mrs. Black. And is is that it? Well, she's at the Department of Mysteries. I don't think she, she she's also there too. Yes. But yeah. like, yes, they just—they really don't do a very good job of introducing who she really is, or like why she's there, what she's doing at all. But then there is some like weird, like flirty tension <laughs> between her and Harry. Like, <laughs> Harry has flirty tension with like everyone in this movie, especially Sirius, number but... one Sirius. <laughs> but yeah, it's like every time there's a scene with Tonks there, she's like kind of winking at Harry, and or they're like he's like looking at her, and she kind of like uh, there's like a weird thing going on between them yeah. is is in this film is tonks more or less worthless than creature oh creature Def- is great well Creature's i mean amazing i don't know if jk rowling wrote best. in something saying you have to keep tonks in this film because trust me she's being used later <laughs> yeah that's maybe that's it <laughs> for the really important loop or like all the loop and stuff that we're gonna get in this movie too yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, I was. I also wanted to comment on the flight scene here. Um, I I wrote in my notes as I was watching, is there no Quidditch in this movie? And I was right, I guess, that there is no Quidditch in this movie. I'd forgotten. That's why they had to have this flight scene so dragged out. It, it would be a complete and total mistake if we don't at least acknowledge the appearance of the one and only true MVB in this scene when we see uh, our favorite uh, Hedwig in, in her cage. Hedwig the White Owl. Hedwig the White Owl. And it is important we acknowledge this because she's she's gonna be fine after this flight. But I did get a little <laughs> no, bit of PTSD we're, just knowing we're, what we're happens on other the flights. flights until the ultimate one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one of her last group flights. <laughs> and um, of course, I prepared something. Uh, I for, noticed you call it something instead of some music. Uh, <laughs> and I hear you're getting a little choked up, Tim. Well, Tim. the moment of silence is always a touching. touching uh, touching part for me but i i do want to say to all of you i have uh y- i i know you feel like my moment of silence are um uh offensive, offensive and <laughs> i i i really In poor taste uh, yeah i i mean they're not meant to be i i really love hedwig and uh so in order to uh you know, properly res- respect her. I've been taking singing lessons and vocal training. Oh, so wow. um, I hope you guys uh, enjoy this one.
Wow. Wow. Tim, your voice sounded really good. Yeah, yeah, Tim, Tim, you sounded basic. I might venture to say that is the most beautiful voice I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So I... First of all, it was a very beautifully sung, but I still found the lyrics to be an incredibly poor well, taste. Deader than Luna's mom. Yeah, well, she, she <laughs> is. That, and I'm sorry, but were you saying yes every time that she was dead? That's what it <laughs> sounds yeah, like. Yes! Nigel. You can't uh, say yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, I... I, I spent fifteen thousand dollars on vocal training. I mean, it, wow! It's 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 supposed to it be was respectful. Worth it. it did sound a lot better. Yeah, I, mean, I do have to say, "Obladi Obladi" is one of my favorite Beatles songs, and it's now kind of ruined because now I always think of it as a really like happy song, and now it's so sad. Why did you not call it "Obladi"? It was right there. Oh my gosh, Oops. that was an obvious mistake on my part. Obladi, wow. not good. Why, why didn't we uh, figure that one out? <laughs> um, but uh, so. it, I mean. No need for Kana to uh, remake this one, right? You mean Kana? What? Yeah, that's what I said. No, it's Kana B. <laughs> Kana B. <laughs> Kana B there. So uh, I think he was thinking of Kana C. Yes, Kana B. My my bad, my bad. Yeah. No, I guess not. You have gotten such beautiful singing Although, voice now. Kana, so Kana does do a good job of. Um, rewriting the lyrics to be more respectful she has a lot more respectful lyrics so well anyway like you said for that uh that was closer to music than anything i've heard from you (laughs) in the past tim (laughs) are you are you being like umbrage right now you're trying to adjudicate tim while he's trying to sing his heart out yeah (laughs) i actually hate children (laughs) oh boy well your baby's not going to you then (laughs) oh no i was joking so close martha (laughs) that's the real reason we invited you on this podcast mike well if i had a nickel (laughs) we are now achieving something i didn't think was possible we've actually talked about the flying scene longer than the flying scene was (laughs) they were also flying so low i know that like there was an argument in the book right about like oh we don't want to fly near the clouds because we don't want to get wet instead let's fly a good six feet off the ground by the river from the river yeah and also so like anyone who's on that ferry could see exactly what's going on yeah, yeah no they, kidding. They, they kind of act like they're like invisible or something, but they're not. They didn't do like the the charm or whatever. So yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of magic, we get to Grimold Place, and wow, Harry loves magic. Yeah, Grimold Place <laughs> appears. It's like first of all, they take so, it takes so long. It's not even that cool. It's just like slowly the buildings part, and like it's like clunks into place like so loud. Um, and then Harry's just standing there, just this look on his face, like. I love magic. I love magic. <laughs> but yeah, what did you guys think of the order, the Grimald place, everything in this scene? I was really happy the Trolls Foot made the movie. That was my favorite part of Grimald Place. What's the Trolls Foot? The umbrella stand? Yep. <laughs> it's there. But, but but I was sad that we didn't get shrieking Mrs. Black. I feel like that was one of the the better parts of JK writing in all caps in her in her <laughs> time on the yeah. in the book. <laughs> yeah, taking out Mrs. Black's like uh, really uh, takes out the the number of lines in all caps in the book because half of it's Harry and half of it's her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Look at me. Uh, we'll, well we'll get to well, that later. There's also that part when uh, uh, Dumbledore shouts, "Harry, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire?" That was all in caps, right? Well, I'm just talking about the fifth book, but thank you. That's not in the in all caps. No, it's definitely not. <laughs> how do we feel? How do we feel about the lack of Mundungus Fletcher until the seventh movie when he becomes prominent? Do you think J.K. Rowling should have uh, stumped for Mundungus as much as she stumped for keeping Creature in there? 
Yeah, and Tonks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I I don't really miss him that much in this book, but it does, or in this movie, but it does feel weird to have him later on then. So, yeah, it's one of those know, changes it's, where it's well, like... it's kind of like the Mrs. Fig thing. Like, it's kind of fine that he's not in this movie, and they maybe could have found another way to bring him into the seven. <laughs> so if we put Nigel in there, is that a Mundungus Fletcher, is that what you're saying? <laughs> that would be perfect. <laughs> yeah, Nigel grows up to be a Mundungus Fletcher. That's a depressing story. <laughs> oh, poor Nigel. <laughs> well, it's not as depressing as him dying. Yeah, I guess not. <laughs> yeah, that's where I'm two options. Mm, your point mm, yeah. <laughs> so, um, Tim, you're happy with the troll's foot. Did you like anything else about Grimmauld Place? Did you like... Harry Potter. <laughs> Sirius says that. That is like that is I I love Gary Oldman. I love Sirius Black in the movies and in the book. And uh, yeah, I like that moment because it's that reveal. Because like the two characters who are in front part and and um, uh, yeah, I love at first sight. It's yeah. it's yeah, and it's like the one person who absolutely loves Harry, and Harry absolutely loves back is the is, one person. Well, I mean, the one person that le- that's like his own person, right? Sirius is Harry's really only unique He's character that's not Ron and Hermione's as well. Like, I mean, yeah. the, the Weasleys are great, and I I yeah. love seeing the Weasleys in this movie too. They're just both of the the uh, they're both fantastic. The, the parents are awesome. I, I really love the Weasleys in this movie. Everyone except Ron. I think Ron is pretty weak in this movie. Yes. Um, and But I think he's like treated very poorly. Like uh, Harry is mean to Ron in almost every scene. Like when he's <laughs> upset, he's taking it out on Ron and it's just Rupert Grint looking like Oh geez, he's yelling at me again. Well, I yeah, think he's that uh, on eggshells the whole movie. <laughs> Hermione says later on that Ron has the uh, what the emotion the emotional span of a teaspoon. I don't know. That might have been uh, Emma Watson talking off script about Rupert Grint, uh, just about his acting in general. But yeah, I think that this is an unfortunate like uh, externality of the fact that we push back the Ron as a keeper storyline into books uh, into movie six and i think one of my small gripes with this film is that it really is harry potter and the order of the phoenix and it feels like all the they, the stuff that they end up cutting out was so ron and hermione centric between the prefect stuff and ron as a keeper that they really are like they're pretty much like near tertiary characters mm-hmm. in this movie in my opinion that's true mm-hmm. i re- that really stood out to me too is like how little we really see ron and hermione like they're hardly in it and there's no plots that really like that that they're very important to also so. Also, I feel like the Ron, the goofy stuff that we normally get from Ron, it all went to Nigel. Like, I feel like that, like him, it could have been Ron floating in the air, right? When uh, Cho Chang is levitating uh, Nigel. Um, That could have been Ron, and we could have had a little bit more brevity for Ron's character. Plus, plus we, we don't get Weasley as our king, which is a pretty fantastic song. Yeah. It is, yeah. And, uh... We could have had Tim doing a spoof of that on here. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All I right, got, well. Nothing's jumping out of mind right now. Well, and I, I will say, if we're talking about the Grim Old Place stuff, I know I mentioned this a couple times with the creature, but I'll pull out my own piece of movie uh, trivia. Uh, I mentioned this before, Ooh. but appara- apparently Creature was not in this initial draft of the film at all. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I think this movie came out what like a month before Book Seven was released or something like that. And I think mm-hmm. and J K Rowling basically told the screenwriter like, "Hey, listen, you may want to keep Creature in there because he may or may not be really important down the line." Mm-hmm. So even though we don't get things like Harry sticking his head in the fireplace and Creature lying to him that Sirius is down at the Ministry, he still does sort of get introduced as this like deflated looking Dobby in two scenes, just so we can remember who he is two movies from now. Yeah, two <laughs> unimportant. Yeah, two unimportant, completely tertiary scenes that are unnecessary to the plot of this one. Like, uh, they might as well have put Creature in the sixth book and been like, "Oh yeah, he was the half-blood prince," because that would have made it make sense. <laughs> so, um, but whatever. Like, yeah. Uh, and thanks for stealing one of my movie trivia's, Mike. Uh, <laughs> Thank yeah, you. Yeah, maybe, maybe I should. Maybe I should. Re- maybe I'll do. I'll call mine film facts to sort of separate the brand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I prefer that name as well, so that makes sense. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it, this is one of the weird parts where they're like, yeah, let's put let yeah, you know what, the house elves. We need more of them. They should have had Dobby in this one too. Um, but I know instead they have Neville. Fine, you've done it. You found the room of requirement, Neville. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, okay, I Should've I been really Nigel. like I really like the way they did Creature. Like I feel like he was perfect, like just how I mm-hmm. pictured him. But I think it's strange. I mean and it does make sense with that trivia piece that he was kind of added back into the plot but it's like if you're going to include him then they don't have any payoff with him in this movie like they might you might as well if he's going to be in the movie you might as well have him be the one that betrays Sirius and somehow try to get that in there because that that is such an interesting plot point so I don't know it's it's kind of frustrating because it's like they got I feel like they got creature about half right yeah I, I like the way he's portrayed and the voice is great. Um, Alice and I were cracking up when he says, of course, Master. Of course. <laughs> um, master, but, uh, creature lives to serve. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I agree. Like, the payoff isn't there. And now that we have the movie, I mean, the film fact, um, it does make a little more sense. Uh, but yeah. It, it also makes sense that you guys like creature because you guys are creature apologists. Yeah. Yeah. We are. <laughs> <laughs> I, Creature's a really interesting character. Sure. You, okay, no wonder, here's okay. my ranking. Creature, right above the veil in terms of things I love. Um, or actually, you know, I think the veil might actually even be better than Creature. Creature should have went through that veil, if you ask me. Whoa. Then we wouldn't That's have gotten harsh. the locket, so. Yeah, um, do you want Voldemort but... to rule, Tim? Is that what you want? Mungdungus. They could have got it from Mungdungus. So, okay, so Tim, you said you like you really like the scene with Harry and Sirius, but uh, like do you do either of you guys like you don't agree with Martha and me that there's some weird like flirtatious vibe in the air between Harry and Sirius? Like they seriously look like they are in love. Like they look like this is love at first or like sight. Like they're about to kiss all the time. What? <laughs> this this to me is more of a platonic bromance. Yeah. Uh, where it's just like I think this is okay. Harry, Harry's like this is Harry like manning up with somebody. Uh, I will say I was a little nervous about the film because like he Gary Oldman was in a very limited capacity in Goblet of Fire, and so you're like okay, you have to make Sirius's death really important. How are you going to do that? And I do feel like throughout the movie they do a good job of whether romantically involved or not of them <laughs> setting up good scenes between them. But I also want to remark on Gary Oldman's choice of facial hair. Because maybe I'm just so used to the illustrations that they did in the book where Sirius was just sort of like a mass of black hair but was clean shaven somehow. Yeah. That's sort of the picture that I had in mind. So when I have – when you see Gary Oldman sporting this weird like uh, mustache into half beard type of thing, it throws me off. 
Yeah, I feel like maybe they have that to make him look younger or something because he is like 20 years older than Sirius is supposed to be. <laughs> um, but yeah, I agree. Yeah, that, I, that, that, that facial hairstyle is what all the cool kids are wearing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I, that's kind of how it feels. But yeah, I agree. I don't. I while I do like Gary Oldman as Sirius, and I, I mean I think that he does a good job and stuff. I've always kind of felt like he doesn't look like the way I always pictured Sirius from the books. But I think, Mike, what you're talking about with, like, them having to really, like, like really get a lot of serious in this movie to make his death worth it, like, I feel like that is speaking to a larger issue with the movie series, is that they were so, I mean, and we've talked about this before, I mean, it, you can see it in the fact that they had new directors practically every movie, um, and just, like, the turnover with artistic direction and everything, like, it just feels like that they were so focused each time on the individual movie that they forgot about, like, the larger picture. Like, I feel like this would have been such a better series if they would have been thinking about the whole picture the whole time. Like, making sure that Sirius was a little bit more invest or in a little bit more involved in the fourth movie. Making sure that, um, you know, you get these little hints early on in the series to stuff that's going to come later. So, I don't know. I just, it, it's one of the things that I feel like makes the, the book series far superior. Do you think that's a, is that a JK Rowling issue? Because again, we just talked about the fact that I think she very well could have said like, hey, can you include this in because it sets things up down the lane. But I do think you make a good point, Alice, that at the end of the day, and you guys have talked about this a bunch in previous movie casts, they're going to make a good picture. That's their first focus, no matter what. And so maybe it's because this happened to be at a point where things started coming up more and getting brought together, as opposed to those first three movies, where it's not like you have a character really, like, recur throughout that really comes to prominence in book three. You know, they were yeah. much more isolated instances, whereas here, now we're starting to really pull from things to uh, come to a climax in book seven, where the aforementioned search for the locket involves going to Creature, going to Mundungus Fletcher, going to Umbridge, like it's a real blast from the past. Mm-hmm. Um this is actually, you bring up a very good point, Mike, because it, it just reminded me of something several, several, several weirdos uh, emailed me and tweeted me and wanted me to bring up. And of course, remind <laughs> you guys, um, you know, the movie and the book oh are <laughs> different things. Okay, they're different, but like they, there needs to they're be the same story. They, so. There needs to be some <laughs> awareness of the fact that this is going to be a, like a, well, it's going to turn into an eight part series. Like. We need to have an overarching, like, message that we're trying to drive home, not just have each one of these stand alone as a sure. movie. Like, that's my whole thing. I, so, I, agree. I agree with you there, and I and think... I, I do think part of the problem is that the books were... The, the whole series wasn't out yet, so, I mean, you can't blame them 100% for not knowing stuff, but it's just... I don't know. Like, if they're gonna ever redo this in the future, I think that they would be taking it more as a big picture thing than just these individual movies. I, I agree. I agree with you. If they, if all the books were written and they were making the movies, I think we would for sure see some like crucial 